Amen. That was one of my favorites. Please join me again in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this space. Thank you for this time that you've called us to consider again your words to us through your son Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I've been looking around at uh, part-time jobs recently. You know, I'm three-quarters time here at the church, and so I figured, oh, I'm going to need something to fill up another day or two of, uh, of the week. And it's been fun to think about the possibilities. Uh, the first job I noticed was a posting on the bulletin board in the hallway down here for uh, school bus drivers in Hodgkins. And I considered that for about a minute. <laughs> I mean, the hours are okay, pays more than minimum wage, but a school bus... <laughs> I've been on enough uh, field trips with my sons to know how that, what that looks like. I don't think I could take the stress. Uh, I have so much respect for those bus drivers because I know I just couldn't do it. Uh, especially this, this one bus driver I read about a few years ago. There was an article in the paper uh, about a woman who was driving a, a school bus. I forget where it was. Uh, she was driving the school bus when a, a man came on board with a gun and held her and all the children hostage for a few hours with the confrontation with police. Fortunately, eventually she, the bus driver, was able to talk the man down off the bus without any violence. And then, of course, everyone wanted to know, how did you do it? How did you stay so calm in the midst of this, this horror story? And you know what she said? She said, she shrugged her shoulders. She said, I pray a lot. That's what she said. Those were her exact words. I pray a lot. Not, I prayed while the man had a gun pointed at me. She said, I pray a lot. As in all the time. Not just in an emergency. This woman prayed all the time so that she would be prepared for anything that happened. And she was. I found that story inspiring. Uh, it also made me wonder, though, I don't, I don't know if I could ever pray enough to want to be a school bus driver, <laughs> but would prayer help me to remain calm in other circumstances? Would it reduce my stress level, lower my blood pressure? I know that talking to God has a way of taking away fear and anxiety in all sorts of circumstances. Perhaps prayer can help us to learn how to trust God and lean on God, uh, even in times like those. That's probably one reason why Jesus was so big on prayer. He talked about it all the time. It's good preparation for life, an inoculation against fear in particular. And we know that Jesus doesn't want us to be afraid because he also talks about that seemingly all the time. Like in this reading from today from the Revised Common Lectionary, Jesus starts off saying, Do not be afraid. Be not afraid, he commands us. And it's actually the most frequent command in all of Scripture. Angels say this, the prophets say it, God says it many times over. I've been told it occurs more than 150 times throughout the Bible, though I've never taken the time to count myself. Be not afraid, we're commanded again and again. It's a strong theme. So last week's emphasis in the text was on getting rid of our possessions for the sake of, of God's kingdom. Jesus said to us, don't worry about your clothes, what you're going to wear, or where you're going to store your stuff. Don't even worry about your food, what it is that you're going to eat or drink. Don't be afraid to give these things away. Jesus says, instead, seek first God's kingdom and its righteousness, 
And all these other things will be given to you as well. God will take care of our needs, so we don't need to be afraid. And in today's text, Jesus expands on this instruction a little bit to include not just physical possessions, but also money. We're not to be afraid of giving away money either. This time Jesus says to us, sell your possessions and give alms, meaning give money to people in need. Give your money to charity. Money. I have to force myself to say it. Money. You see, I don't like talking about money any more than anybody else. Uh, But here it is in the text. Because we do tend to fear money, don't we? Jesus also talks about money more than any other single topic besides the kingdom of God. Probably for this reason. He doesn't avoid it. I figure I probably can't either. As much as I prefer to go back to discussing the benefits of prayer or downsizing, Jesus says that preparing for the kingdom of God also requires dealing with our money, giving it away. So first, I'll be honest with you all and confess that I sometimes struggle with this in the sense that I can be excessively frugal, which is a kind way of saying that I'm I'm a little cheap. I know this about myself. My dad was a budget analyst for most of his career, a, a very careful accountant. I like to think that some of that rubbed off on me, his, his love for spreadsheets and conservative fiscal management. I often aim for security through savings and planned giving, preferably in the ratio of 10%, you know, 10% sharing, 10% uh, saving. That's what I'm comfortable with. This, was, this is what makes me feel prepared for the future. But over the years of studying scripture and listening to what Jesus actually says about money, I'm not sure that that's the kind of preparation he has in mind for us. Jesus says here, sell your possessions and give alms. He doesn't talk about building up a bank account or diversifying our investment portfolios. Jesus says to us, make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near And no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which is clearly a different kind of accounting than I'm used to. A different value system altogether. Jesus then goes on to talk about getting ready for God's judgment. To be prepared to give an accounting at any moment. For the master of the house might show up without warning like a thief in the night. Which I find a little anxiety producing. If God were to sit me down and take an inventory of how I've been managing my affairs, would I measure up? Would I have sold enough possessions? Would I have given enough alms? Or would my portfolio show me to be selfish and miserly, stingy, cheap? It reminds me of a saying I think I heard came from a priest in Chicago, that if if we want to go to heaven, we're going to need a letter of reference from the poor. That's what preparation looks like in the kingdom of God. I'm not always entirely sure I have that letter, or at least a recent one. So again, I come back to prayer, preparing like the woman driving the bus. At least one good thing about this challenging text is it has a tendency to drive me to my knees. I find myself praying, Lord, have mercy on me. Help me to get ready. I pray and I pray, but again, I notice this preparation Jesus talks about isn't just about prayer. At least it looks to me as though prayer is not enough. 
It's like that verse in the book of James. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? It's not just about faith. It's also about works. Jesus is saying we have to put our money to work. That's the uncomfortable good news about money that comes up again and again in these Gospels. If we've got money or possessions, Jesus says it's not too late to do something good with it. It's not too late. There's still time. In fact, Jesus harps on this concept because he wants us to get it right. God wants us to inherit the kingdom, he says. God wants us to have life as individuals and as a community. He says, do not be afraid, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So it's time to prepare. It's time. How will we prepare our finances for life in the kingdom of God? You know, when Jesus says, says little flock, it feels like it's pointed at us. <laughs> We're a little flock, right? I look around and I think, oh, the Holy Spirit is, is speaking directly to us, calling us out here. What do we need to do? What do we need to change? I'll share briefly a few of my own thoughts in this form, on this form of getting ready in case you can relate. Uh, maybe this morning's reflection will help you to think, think of one thing you could focus on this week to prepare financially for the gift of God's new community that's coming into the world. One of the first times I thought about this challenge of wealth was in, uh, in college. I read a book called Rich Christians in an Age of, of Hunger. Has anyone read that? It's by a guy named Ron Sider. Yeah, two people. Okay. Um, it's kind of a, I think of it as a classic, a great book for group study, good conversation starter. One simple point this evangelical scholar brings up, there's nothing particularly consistent in scripture about the whole giving 10% thing, which I find a little disappointing. First of all, the, the, uh, Ron Sider points out that giving in the Bible is rarely about giving to the church. Again, sorry about that. Um, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. It's about giving to poor people, giving alms. And then it's not. And then 10% can be a great starting point, but nowhere does Jesus say give 10%. More often than not, he says give it all, which is a lot harder. So Ron Sider, the point of this book, he takes this very seriously. He calculated how much he really needed to live on, a minimum basic income to meet his needs, and then he started giving away everything else. He talked about what that was like. Sometimes giving 50% or more of his income, depending on how much he was making. My guess is that that guy has a letter of reference from the poor by now. But most of us aren't, aren't anywhere near that level of generosity. Particularly if we don't make much money or we have other people depending on us financially, it might not be that simple. For some of us, 1% may be plenty or more than enough. It's all we can do, and it's a good start. And still, that's probably not the best way to think about it, because unlike me, Jesus doesn't talk much about percentages. Instead, he says to us, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. As in, sometimes it might be better to give spontaneously, based on whoever the Holy Spirit puts in front of you. For example, there, I lived in a place one time where there was a guy on the corner that I used to give cash to from time to time. I wouldn't plan on it. i just hand him whatever cash happened to be in my pocket, which was never much. And I found that there was something liberating about that practice. 
giving occasionally without even thinking about it. I could forget about the money and not even notice it was gone. I could trust that I would be okay even without that cash in my pocket. God would take care of me. But you know, I don't always see people on the corner asking for money. Uh, Our society has a way of hiding poverty, of hiding people's needs. So sometimes we have to actually go looking for opportunities to give. In that vein, I used to try to give 5% of my income to nonprofits. Again, percentages. I'd go online to research who to give to. I preferred to give to smaller nonprofits, maybe needed the money more than the big ones. I prefer local nonprofits. I had this whole spreadsheet. I love my spreadsheets. I liked also that I could see the impact that my money was having on the local economy, supporting jobs while also meeting human need. One benefit of that approach was that I'd get newsletters from all those groups uh, that would educate me about what was going on in the community. I, I figured it made me a better neighbor, a better ed- advocate. I found that over time I grew to care more about those particular causes and organizations. It's like Jesus says here, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My heart moved towards the poor when I gave to those nonprofits. But it wasn't, a, it wasn't a perfect system. For one thing, my mailbox started to fill up very quickly. It was more than I could read, more than I could take in. And to be honest, I still felt kind of cheap in the midst of that practice. Because my giving was super calculated and planned. And I wasn't developing a lot of relationships with people in the midst of it. It was just kind of a business transaction. Oftentimes I'd do it online. So I wasn't being prepared for the kingdom in other ways. For example, uh, one nonprofit that I got to know was this one called Big Table. I went to a presentation of theirs. It's a, uh, it's a group that focuses on ministry to restaurant workers, which I thought was really interesting. And Big Table points out that the restaurant industry is full of people who are overworked and underpaid and often overlooked by other social service agencies. The working poor uh, tend to wait on our tables, and most of the time we have no idea how difficult their lives are. So this one nonprofit was working on them. And one time the folks at Big Table, they talked about how they had interviewed restaurant workers to find out why they, they don't go to church. The answer the workers gave was, of course, well, we work on Sundays, so we can't be there, and we don't like Christians. And that was surprising. So the interviewer said, well, why don't you like Christians? The answer, consistently, well, we don't like Christians because they camp out at our tables and they don't tip well. If we see a group praying before a meal, they said, we know it's going to be a rough shift. Isn't that sad? I felt so terrible when I heard that because I realized, you know, I've been that person. From time to time, meeting with people in coffee shops, sitting there forever. And my standard of giving for a long time was 10%. The standard today is 20%. So here I thought I was trying trying to, to give, but meanwhile, all these poor wait staff was thinking I was a cheap jerk. Because the standard is 20% and they depend on it to survive. Now, I could go on and on about how ridiculous I think that system is, that our society uh, is structured in this way where poor people have to depend on our 20% tips. That's sad to me. But at the end of the day, I know I can't 
I can't change that culture. All I can do is become a more generous person. That's all I can do. All I can do is give more if I want to help, if I want to prepare for the kingdom the way Jesus is talking about. And I realized as I, as I thought that through in my, the spreadsheet in my brain, I said, oh, that means I'm going to have to eat out less <laughs> or sell more of my possessions. And that, that also seems to be his point, right? Jesus says I shouldn't worry so much about what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to drink. He says, blessed are those who the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. In the kingdom of God, Jesus will serve us. He's the waiter. It's God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom, and all we have to do is leave a big tip isn't that amazing? I still sometimes think about what it would be like to be that bus driver, surrounded by screaming kids, praying all the time so that I'd be ready for unexpected visitors. I think sometimes about what it would be like to be that waiter, praying that those Christians in the corner booth would pony up more cash. I also try to envision what it would be like to be that Christian, praying before a meal, thanking Jesus for being present at the table, for serving us when we should be serving Him. I envision growing in my ability to give, to share, to reach out in love and blessing to everyone that the Holy Spirit puts in my path. I consider all of this and I thank God that I still have time to prepare for this kingdom that God wants to bring to us. Thank God that Jesus has shown us the way. Thank God that our Heavenly Father still wants to give this gift to us. And that in Christ Jesus, we assure we will get there. For we have nothing to fear. Amen? I invite you to join me in the affirmation of faith as printed in your bulletin. We believe in the debonair God who clothes the wild flowers and is the true friend of all creatures great and small. We believe in the extravagant God who turns the other cheek, goes the second mile, turns water into the best wine, brings healing with every touch. We believe in the redeeming God who spared no cost, forgave even brutal crucifiers, had time for a dying thief at his side, and who on the third day did a thing so prodigious that even his friends were dismayed with joy. We believe in the God of Christ Jesus, the source of abundance, full of grace and truth. Amen.